Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. It's my pleasure to be joined by Dave, uh, David Anderson. He's a, a mental health nurse who um, got in trouble essentially for trying to create uh, informed consent documents around antidepressants, which talked about uh, the risk of, of PSSD. And I'm delighted to have you uh, come on and uh, uh, share your story. Uh, I think, you know, a great place to start um, is maybe you could just quickly tell us about, um, you know, how PSSD and I guess the problems with medications even even entered your radar, because I, I think you were working in this system for quite some time before you even knew about some of the risks of the drug. Yeah, that's right. I, I had been working in the system for quite some time, um, years and years, and I had kind of um, progressed through and um, I had joined pretty much every committee available to me. I had become a charge nurse, um, uh, really earned the respect of my coworkers to the point where I was awarded a, a prestigious um, excellence in nursing award by my hospital. And um, that, that was kind of a, that was definitely a, a pinnacle. That was definitely a highlight. And it was around that same time that I started to um, read more and become more cynical about the medications that we were using on the psych unit what there. What and that, I started though? down why, that rabbit. Why start looking into it? Uh, it started with OxyContin and it started with Vioxx, actually, and the revelations around the lawsuits of those medications. When I was in nursing school, I worked in a pharmacy, a very busy pharmacy, and I had started there right around the time Vioxx was pulled off the market. And we also sold enormous amounts of narcotics at that pharmacy, too. So um, at that point in time, I would always kind of essentially roll my eyes when I heard somebody kind of demonize big pharma and stuff like that. But as the years went by, I started to... Um, hear details about the scandals and about the nefarious behavior at the clinical trial level. And um, that's that's when I really started to um, be proactive about looking into SSRIs and antipsychotics and that sort of thing that we were using every day on our unit. This, like, where does it come from, I guess, this immediate, uh, I guess, position uh, because uh, about like defending pharma you know when, when you hear it like oh yeah you know these drug yeah. companies they're just out to make a buck and you know they don't really care about people i think because i think that's shared by a lot of medical students and and maybe people when they first enter their health professions you know they're just like ah uh, you know these groups are mostly good yeah. they're great people i know someone that works there and really the, the detractors are are mostly quack doctors or Scientologists and things like that. So I, I just was wondering if you could kind of comment about where you think that comes from, that original, I guess, trusting position. Well, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head. You know, you, you called out Scientologists being used to discredit any sort of um, uh, big pharma criticism, um, anti-vaxxer is another essentially derogatory slur that you can just apply to someone to um, dismiss them. Uh, and 
so being critical of big pharma was kind of associated with uh, being a conspiracy theorist and being anti-science and and um, you know it uh, it allows you to just easily dismiss someone and take a moral and intellectual high ground without actually um, doing any investigation yourself you can just you know you can just cite any authority you can name and they'll say yeah you're right they're conspiracy mm -hmm. theorists so it made it really easy to hold that position for a really long time and so all right so you start becoming a little suspicious about things you know after you're seeing legit harms i guess from viox and then also the oxycontin problem you start thinking about the meds yeah. that you're using every day on the inpatient you know what what, what happens next so it made me uh, think of patients that I had worked with over the years. One of the revelations of the Vioxx scandal was that Merck was going after doctors who were uh, noticing that Vioxx was causing heart attacks. So Merck knew Vioxx was causing heart attacks, but they were perfectly happy to try and end the careers of doctors who would notice to try and keep it on the market for as long as possible. And it made me think of a specific patient who was um, a frequent admission on our unit. She had had a psychiatrist who had her on enormous doses of benzodiazepines for decades. Uh, and she, during one of her admissions, she said that she and her sister had been doing some research and that um, they believed that her symptoms were related to protracted benzodiazepine withdrawal. And she gave me the name of the doctor who she was um, citing. And I looked into it and I just found all these smear pieces on this doctor. So fast forward, fast forward a couple years and I find out about how Merck was smearing doctors who noticed issues with Vioxx. And it made me think back to that and wonder, you know, was, was there anything to what he was, was that, saying? Was that brand or I'm trying to remember. Yeah. You know, I honestly, I honestly don't even don't even remember. I I remember that um, he was um, an older psychiatrist. He was pretty pretty old school. He had he had uh, uh, been around for a while, and so that was something that was used to yeah. discredit him. Like you know, this this guy graduated from medical school in the 1960s. What does he know about modern psychiatric medicines? Dragon, but you know, so I, I guess you probably dismissed her at the time right you know if they're like oh i have this withdrawal problem and then you go online and you just read smear articles about i guess the one doctor who's talking about it so i mean was that the case did you just sort of write it off exactly that's that's exactly what happened yeah i just found these smear articles and then every authoritative source was not supporting this doctor's position so it was really easy to to write off what she was saying um, but at the same time, her distress was so obvious, you know, it, it was easy to see that, um, she was suffering immensely. So, um, um, she was a very difficult patient, uh, to try and, to try and medicate. And a lot of doctors were, um, kind of banging their heads against the wall with her because she was, she was suffering so much and it didn't really seem like any, uh, medication changes they were making at that point were, were helping. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So, but something kept you interested in it, you know, after that experience, um, to, to keep on digging, yeah. even though I guess you, you had dismissed it at the time. What was that? Well, 
one of one of the things that made me keep digging was Irving Kirsch's um, uh, research, uh, The Emperor's New Drugs. And the very first thing that stood out to me with that was I could not believe that it took a Freedom of Information Act request in order to simply access the clinical trial data. Like I, I thought our system was more transparent than that, but I had never actually looked into how transparent it was. So uh, I read The Emperor's New Drugs where Irving Kirsch kind of um, dissects the efficacy of SSRIs compared to placebo per the clinical trials that were submitted to the FDA for um, authorization of those drugs. And, and was I was basically astounded at um, uh, how the medications were, you know, at best, marginally more effective than than placebo, but they were still they were mm -hmm. still authorized, and that just opened a whole new can of worms too. Because I was starting to I discovered David Healy at that point, and um, was starting to hear about protracted SSRI withdrawal mm -hmm. and um, those sort of things. And then it's, and then you look at uh, the clinical you look back at the clinical trials, and you know there's six week trials like. How can you establish a side effect profile or how can you know anything about what withdrawal from these medications is like after only a six-week so trial? Like things are kind it, of unraveling. Uh, you know, I imagine prior to this, you just hear, you know, antidepressants, they're safe and, safe and effective, they save lives. And then you start stumbling upon, yeah. like, I guess all these threads, you know, concerning threads, you know, that make you think it's more, compli yeah. it's more complicated than that. Yeah, exactly. I actually went back to my psychiatric nursing textbook from when I was in nursing school and, you know, went to this section on depression. And I found the blurb that said depression is caused by an imbalance of the serotonin system that's fixed by selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And often patients will need to be on these medications for the rest of their life. And uh, that was incredibly disturbing for for me to read years later after I had uh, actually looked into the literature myself. And um, it also got me looking at the patient education materials my hospital was using. And I pulled up our patient education handout on depression, and it said the same thing. It said depression is caused by a chemical imbalance of the serotonergic system, and often patients will have to be on antidepressants for the rest of their life. And it only took a few clicks to see that our vendor for patient education materials wow. was Merck, the exact same company behind Vioxx, uh, the same Merck that had fabricated a peer-reviewed journal in order to promote their products. Um, just incredibly, incredibly disturbing, you know? It's, like, it's interesting how these things uh, enter because, you know, the doctor's yeah, I imagine the company's position it as, hey, you know, we, we want to give you guys some resources that will save some time with your patients. You could just drop them off with them. They'll get a good understanding of what the condition is. It, you know, it's going to facilitate a conversation with the doctors. And um, but then, yes, really kind of, you know, they've planted favorable ideas in there, you know, ideas which tend to you know, ideas and conversations which, which lead to drug use. And, and, you know, when you have one of these screening tools and it's in a setting of, you know, consumers being kind of bombarded and, and I mean patients being bombarded 
bombarded with media that's talking about the chemical imbalance. You know, doctors are bombarded with journals about the chemical imbalance and things like that. It's like this, you know, these scales end up being these, or these patient education uh, leaflets end up, you know, they just, they kind of just smooth that conversation over. They start it and then, you know, everything's already primed and ready to go for the drug prescriptions to come along. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, I could think back to hundreds of conversations uh, that I either uh, partook in myself or witnessed where a patient was told, you know, what you're experiencing right now is caused by a chemical imbalance. And, um, you know, if somebody was hesitant to start a new medication, they would be told, think of it as, you know, think of it as uh, needing insulin for diabetes. You know, and uh, um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was very disconcerting. It was very distressing for me because I no longer felt like I was uh, an expert in my field, which I had previously felt, and I also no longer felt like we were providing informed consent to patients. There's a framework of professional nursing called novice to expert. And the gist of it is when you're a new nurse, either just out of school or in a new environment, you're a novice and you have a preceptor, you have a mentor, you work with doctors, you, um, you learn and you grow in your practice, you build your skills, you build your knowledge. And over time, you become the expert, you become the one who's teaching new nurses. And I had gotten to that point. Uh, I was, you know, precepting. I was, you know, like I said, on nearly every committee available to me. And all of a sudden, I felt like a complete novice again. I felt like I had to unlearn all these things that I had learned over the years that turned out to be um, at best falsehoods, you know. And it was particularly distressing because I didn't feel like I had a mentor to turn to to learn to, uh, to, you know, uh, uh, to build my knowledge base back up because there's so much, there's so much corruption. There's so much capture. It's like, all, all right. Uh, I can see all these instances where the FDA, uh, was at best incompetent. Um, oftentimes, you know, they were, they were, uh, you know, like, like with Oxycontin, they were complicit in in a lot of things that happened with oxycontin purdue hired a purdue hired kinsey institute to help supercharge sales of oxycontin this consulting firm and it turned out that a lot of the people working for kinsey institute were simultaneously working at the fda in charge of regulating oxycontin you learn stuff like yeah. that and it's hard to not get really cynical that's, that's true and i mean you touch on something that's interesting which is something that I went through as well is that just feeling of being lost, you know, once you, once you, I guess what, once your eyes are really open to what's going on, you, you really don't know what to trust anymore because I mean, if you're like me, you don't want to throw the baby yeah. out with the bathwater. You go, okay, so maybe, okay. So the drugs aren't being used the way that they should be, but maybe there's some use for them, but what is that? Is it short term? Is it long term? When do yeah. you use them long term? What are the risks? How should you inform people? Yeah. And you're really, you're really kind of on your own because no one's practicing that way. No one's really thinking about using them that way. Most people are just, 
following clinical guidelines, many of which have been written by people who have ties to, to industry and such. And so, yeah, I, I, I know what that's like. And then you end up piecing it together from, you know, I guess people like David Healy or Joanna Moncrieff or some of these other senior leaders in the, in the critical psychiatry movement. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's particularly bad with psych medications because they're so subjective, you know, like with Vioxx, somebody falling over dead, that's pretty objective and easy to spot. Um, but psych meds in general, uh, it's, you're relying a lot on patient reports and, uh, it's easier to game. It's easier to game those studies. It's easier to manipulate things because, you know, you're, you're not, uh, with a blood pressure med, say you can tell whether or not a blood pressure meds works because you can check somebody's blood pressure. It's way harder with the subjectivity of psych meds, even, even antipsychotics and mood stabilizers and that sort of thing. Um, that's true. Yeah. It's a lot harder to measure their efficacy. And so it makes it a lot easier to game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gamed, and then I guess the other thing is, um, um, I feel like a lot of people when you know when they hear about someone who was harmed by a psychiatric medication, they sort of fall back into what they've heard in the media, um, and usually these are very unflattering stories about people who complain about psychiatric drugs. You know, something along the lines of, you know, it's yeah. a covert Scientologist. It's some kind of propaganda from the church. It's people mistaking their underlying condition for, um, for a drug side effect. It's people who have some agenda against drugs. You know, they just, they're these black and white people who just simply yeah. think, you know, people shouldn't use drugs ever. You know, they'll, they'll kind of, um, you know, they try and tie you with any one of those kind of, um, those, those positions. And that's, that's really how I've, I've seen things kind of dismissed uh, again and again. You know, we're talking like legitimate concerns where, you know, pe people's family members have died. And, and then to get that kind of reception yeah. from the media and from the public, I mean, it's just it's it's disgusting. It is disgusting. And I felt uh, kind of mortified about um, about how I um, viewed things in prior years and how I labeled patients. I mean, we were. Uh, very quick to label patients as somatic when they would um, repeatedly come to staff with just this incredible variety of physical complaints, you know, and it's it's so easy to just write that off as being part of their personality disorder, as being part of, you know, they're, they're testing for abandonment. They're, they're, they want to make sure their nurse hasn't abandoned them, so they're going to ask for uh, a different PRN every, every 30 minutes and... Um, uh, Later, when I learned about, uh, you know, um, protracted benzo withdrawal and protracted SSRI withdrawal, it made me think back to all these people that were experiencing these very distressing physical symptoms because of, um, well, I didn't realize it at the time, but very possibly because of med changes that had happened mm -hmm. months ago. And uh, it, it became a soapbox of mine, uh, became something I wanted to... Uh, change on the the culture of our unit to just you know make people more aware that this is a that this is a real thing and not to be um not to be so um dismissive of patients when they're when they're reporting things like you know brain zaps or even you know unretractable anxiety that's that sort of thing sure. um 
all yeah. these all, all this distress could be related to a med that that they came off of so let's talk ago. about so what what happened when you started raising awareness about this so it sounds like you were talking about it but i also know you started making uh information yeah. leaf, leaflets about the risks of antidepressants T talk to us about that well the first thing that happened was covid <laughs> so that pushed everything else to the back burner for a while, but um, it was still it was still um, something I was passionate about and um, wanting to change on my unit. And at some point during the course of COVID, I learned about post SSRI sexual dysfunction, and this kind of made it. Uh, it's kind of lit a little bit of a fire under me because. I had initially kind of seen this issue as this is an opportunity for improvement. We need to do a better, we need to do a better job of this. And at the point I, I found about, uh, about PSSD, it was, it was, it became an issue of an informed consent. Like we are not providing informed consent to our patients unless we are addressing this topic. And this isn't an opportunity for improvement. We, this is an obligation. This is a core value of ours. We we need to change this. We need to do a better job of this. So I had made patient education materials in the past. I was familiar with the process. So uh, I chatted with people about it and I and I made one. I, I made a, a patient education handout about the sexual side effects of SSRIs and was going through the process of getting it approved to have it put on our on our um patient education website uh, database. And it uh, didn't get past approval by our medical mm -hmm. director. Uh, our medical director um, said that this is not within a nurse's scope of practice to do and shot it down. And Was it just um, because you didn't have the authority to, to put that together from their perspective? Or did they even talk to you about the uh, science behind the PSSD? No, you, no um, nurses, I mean, providing patient education is well within the nurse's scope of practice. And I, you know, in my, I linked and cited absolutely every claim I put in there. It was all, it was all, uh, uh, all my references were there and I was more than welcome to um, tweaking things or to, you know, this might be overstated. I, I tried to, uh, I didn't want it to be a huge barrier to compliance. I knew that it would be, but I thought, I also thought, you know, this, this should be somewhat a, a barrier to patients starting these medications. Yeah. It, it is, it's, 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 def, it's definitely, you know, they, they need to know this risk that, you know, on the scale of risk and benefit, you know, that each patient and each doctor like uh, kind of looks at in their mind when making a yes, no decision, something like PSSD, changes the weight on that scale you know it's it's so yeah, yeah. It, it i mean it's real right <laughs> yeah right and so okay yes yeah, so, so, so go on so just from just from chatting with various people on the unit the the rumor on the grapevine and and the consensus was like this won't get approved because this will be such a barrier to compliance for patients and uh that just uh felt very untenable to me like this is this is we're violating a core value a core obligation to our patients the uh um discussion of the meta-analysis that i cited 
in uh, as part of building that patient education handout, the conclusion of the author specifically said, like, if you are not doing this for your patients, you are not providing informed consent. This is not just on doctors. This is on everybody involved with the prescribing of these medications, including nurses. And I, I read that and 100% agreed with them and, and uh, mm -hmm. was pretty devastated that uh, it wasn't something I was going to be able to change in my neck of the woods. Did, did anyone you know, ever say looking, anything looking at all about, these... hey, we just don't believe it? Or was most of the... Oh, so no. the response was just like, no one's going to take these meds if, if we put this on there. And that's a problem. Never, never officially. The official response was, you know, this isn't your scope wow. of practice, which is, which was yeah. not true. Um, but uh, it was, and again, I have no proof that this is ultimately what our medical director said. But what I heard was this is going to be too big of a barrier to compliance for starting people on on these medications. So, uh, so, so it got so yeah. it got shot down. Uh, not because any of my claims were wrong or the science was wrong or I was quoting anything that could be discredited. Uh, not, nothing like that. And so, so talk to me what happened about what happened next, because I know you weren't long for that place soon after. <laughs> yeah. No. So, so at that point, uh, uh, just a couple months after that, uh, I was, um, well, I was very distressed in my job because, you know, I felt like we weren't providing informed consent. I felt like uh, I was a novice without a mentor and um, very upset with um, our our entire system, with the FDA, with uh, pharma, with uh, all these uh, systemic problems that, you know, obviously there's nothing some nurse from Wisconsin is going to do to address systemic issues with the FDA or anything like that. But I thought maybe in my neck of the woods on my unit where I am very well established and respected and have a voice, I could maybe make a difference here. Um, no. And then my hospital came out with a very strict COVID vaccine mandate where they, uh, at the at the point in time they announced their mandate, they did not allow religious exemptions. They um, did not allow uh, natural immunity exemptions. They wouldn't even allow their own doctors to give somebody a medical exemption wow. there. If you wanted a medical exemption, your request went up to hospital leadership and human resources. It was, um, just such a violation of, of what should be core values of, of every, of every hospital. Um, and you know, I was, uh, because of my distrust for pharma, I was, I was uh, kind of taking a wait and see approach with getting vaccinated myself. Um, nursing is about 75% women. And one of the first things that was a red flag to me was a majority of my coworkers were talking about um, changes in their menstrual cycle after mm. vaccination. And uh, they, were, they were scrubbed off the internet as conspiracy theorists. And, you know, later you find out that that was a side effect they knew about during the clinical trials, but you, you weren't allowed to talk about it at the time. So um, anyway, I, I became very outspoken in opposition to uh, my hospital's mandate and ended up being terminated. After how many years of service? 
Wow. Over nine. Holy. I mean, I, I kind of went yeah. down the same path. You know, I was always fairly okay with vaccines, fairly trusting of them. But once I started learning about what they were doing with psychiatric medication, I never looked at them the same the same way again. I, I ended up needing to get vaccinated yeah. for my job, which I um, really needed at the time. So I did it, uh, but was not happy about it. But I totally empathize with yeah. the distrust um, there. So, wow. Um, what a story, Dave. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share. It's uh, extremely um, uplifting and refreshing to find a medical professional, especially at the level of psychiatrist, who is aware of these things and who is trying to spread awareness. Um, that's that's how I that's how I found you. Is um, um, somebody tagged you on Twitter? Actually, an account I uh, follow that's trying to spread awareness about post SSRI sexual dysfunction. And um, yeah, we we need more we need more mental health professionals to I guess wake up to the state of the science and and where we're where we're at with things and we are not doing a good job of providing informed consent to our patients and and um, we need to do better. Well, Dave, thank you so much for sharing your story. Any 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 final comments before we wrap? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, um, thanks again for, for the work you're doing and for, uh, letting me, uh, letting me speak on your channel. Um, yeah, I, I really I appreciate it's really it. really important, you know, for people to, to hear from, I guess, mental health professionals as well, you know, that it's not just something that the patients and the sufferers are noticing that it's, that it's people who are actually in the system that, that are having problems with this as well. So, so thanks again, Dave. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Drs. Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at WitDuringPsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.